Welcome to the first episode of Life, Death and Legacy. I recently caught up with Robin Leone to talk about everything from leaving London life, to travelling the world, to integrating a natural lifestyle for a happier life. I hope you enjoy this. So, welcome to the first episode of the Life, Death and Legacy podcast. And thank, thank you for joining me because this is going to be really interesting. It's going to be a really cool journey. Uh, and I think that to get your perspective first will be really good. And I think it sets a really good foundation. So thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank um, you for having me. And yeah, yeah. And I, I think that, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes and we'll see, we'll see if anybody uh, kind of connects to it in a way. Um, yeah. And then, and, and then, I don't know, put it out there Yeah. and see what happens. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, so just firstly, um, you know, you've had kind of a, a really um, broad, from what I remember, a really broad kind of, uh, you know, you were in the fashion industry and then you've kind of, kind of gone through what this, to, to an outsider probably seems like a quick journey to you. It's been a really, really gradual journey mm. into um, kind of something more wholesome. Some, you know, you're focusing on your well-being, which I think so, I feel like more people are doing it now, but I feel mm. like it's still a rare thing for people to think you know what, it's all about what I do as a career, mm. uh, but actually it's not, it's how you are as a human being. Yeah, I think for me, um, you're right, it is more wholesome being in the well-being industry than in the fashion, fashion industry. Yeah. Um, but it has been a slow uh, process, bit by bit it's been working through. And I think for me, having a fashion brand when I was younger, it was super exciting. I loved making clothes, I was actually doing more vintage and reworking to begin with. I was buying vintage clothes and reselling them. Um, and then it came to a stage where I had this dream where I wanted to have my own collection, which I designed because it meant I had um, full creative reign. I could do whatever I wanted. So that was this, yeah, this aspiration of mine. And when it actually came to that point, I, I couldn't push the button. It didn't feel right. Something didn't feel right. and. Now, in hindsight, looking back, I can see that there was something in the vintage world, in the storytelling, in the choosing and curating what you were buying and then reselling it, giving it new life. There was definitely something in that that I just couldn't see at the time, but that I felt. And then moving past that, trying to do something where I was manufacturing. Um, yeah, it was that was the start of my awareness of living more sustainably. Um, definitely, definitely the early stages of it, but there was still an awareness in the back of my mind. And I didn't know if I wanted to add more products that didn't need to be in the world when I could maybe offer something else and be of a service in another way. Um, so yeah, it's been, a, it's been a slow process since then, because also I've always had this perspective of just winging it, of just cracking on, seeing how you get on and, uh, I think that's the northerner in me. Um, Which actually kind of yields more results in a way. Yeah. Because you're not, you, you know, you, you kind of plan for life that, or you plan for things that are going to happen, which, you know, nine times out of 10, they either don't happen or they happen in a completely different way. Yeah. Um, but you have kind of gone and you've grasped whatever you've got mm -hmm. and you've kind of made it your own. And Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, in the fashion industry or in the the brands that I've built since then, I've also done photography and I did do some photography when we were doing A-levels. Um, 
but it was more analog and film and then I just kind of turned that into digital because that's what was serving me better in yeah. a working capacity um so there was definitely um I think the reason that it's been a slow process in a more health and well-being way is because initially coming into that world I I put, I found it through yoga so I started doing yoga with my mum actually when I was a teenager in the late part of my teens um and yeah I guess that was a gateway for me definitely into like health and well-being and then since then I've almost hesitated because I wasn't qualified I'm not a doctor I'm not a um nutritionist I'm not um qualified in a sense and for me selling someone clothes that you've made is not um there's not too much pressure on that. It doesn't matter if I wasn't a qualified yeah. fashion designer. Mm. Although I did have a bit of imposter syndrome at the time about yeah. that. Um, and then coming into an industry where you're helping people, there becomes like a fear of, but what if I do the opposite? And I think that's something that I've been working through and I've had to become my own guinea pig and start working with people that I trust, people that are around me. Um, and getting honest feedback and just kind of yeah testing the water a little bit more I haven't had the same just jump straight in attitude but I think that that's been really healthy for me because it's enabled me to grow in the process more I have a deeper understanding for myself and what I actually can give to the world and to different people yeah I think everyone goes through that kind of am I you know any any profession or any any life avenue where you're going to help people you're like you know am I doing is am I helping them mm. you know what, 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 am I hindering them how like you have to explore that and like you say be, being your own guinea pig and, and living the values that you're practicing what you're preaching is 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 the proof of the pudding is mm. that you're doing the right thing yeah and I guess you know as well that sometimes the more you know <laughs> mm. the more scary it becomes if you know all the like health and safety risks all the rules and reg regulations around yeah. things um, or the things that can go wrong, um, yeah, it can bring more fear about it. Yeah. And sometimes naivety and curiosity and an open mind and an open heart is actually the best way. Yeah. <laughs> and the, you know, in the awakening through the yoga, I, do you know what, like, this has been one of the things for me this year because I dabbled really lightly with yoga mm. uh, and it gets to that point now where it, it it's sort of become part of life you know you, you kind of do that thing where pe I think and people that I talk to that are definitely haven't done yoga or again they were like me a few years ago where you're like oh you know what I'll do a bit of yoga uh yeah is it for me I, I, I'm not very flexible they go they go through the same things that I think everybody thing goes everyone through says, which they're like you know I, yeah I can't I can't <laughs> cope with it uh and then you soon you you kind of start repeating and you realize that it has so many different kind of uh it's got so much more weight on every other aspect of your life in, in every way. I'm definitely uh, more kind of, I don't know if you'd call it carefree or, or, or not as stressful, but I definitely have this kind of element of, I, of knowing what matters to me and what doesn't mm. and being able to differentiate between stress that I feel is maybe not worth it, but stress that I'm at least going to keep around for longer because I know that I can learn from it or I know that it's important to my growth. Mm -hmm. But if it's if it's irrelevant, I'm going to discard it. Yeah. And, it and it becomes easier. The more that you do it, the more that you practice it, you realize that actually 
you, you can tap into those things there and then, just just like you can with meditation. The more you do it, the more you realise that throwing away the rubbish and the clog out of your out of your mind mm. becomes easier because you've done it before. Yeah, and you realise what's directly affecting you mm. and what you're choosing to yeah. attach to to let affect you. It's exactly, like yeah. you you realise and you can identify between the direct and the indirect, the ones that. Yeah, really affect your life that yeah. within your control that you can change that you can grow from that you can adapt to and the things that will never change yeah so I had an experience recently actually when I was on a course a permaculture course for three months and there were some stressful challenges you know there were some perspectives and some things that I didn't agree with and to begin with you're in a, you're in a place that's a small community and it and it's very magnified everything's yeah. very magnified and to begin with, I, I kind of got into that like stress loop of, oh, I'm, I'm trying to problem solve or I'm trying to kind of make sure that I'm getting the most out of it. Or And I was starting to control and I realized at some point through conversations with other people and just kind of bouncing ideas around, I could choose to let go of that. That was something that wasn't directly affecting me. It was something that I was choosing to have that perspective of. And if I could change my perspective, I would have a much more free and enjoyable and actually different experience perhaps to what I expected yeah and that ability I would never have had without yoga that ability to just choose your perspective and just pivot and shift and go oh exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I know exactly what you mean yeah and I think I'm still in that kind of stage where that is more difficult for me I've not been doing yoga a long time but I have kind of it's it's there on my priorities each week of how much time I spend doing it um and it becomes something to look forward to as well which yeah. is which is really good for me um but you kind of and like you say the, this idea that you can put yourself you can shift your perspectives so it gives you it just gives you more control in like mm. in any in any social situation You're more adaptable yeah emotional yeah. situation anything yeah um that's really good. Yeah. yeah. And you can you notice things like, I think as I've delved into it more, sometimes I think that, that people think when you say you do yoga, it's like you go to yoga classes. Yeah. I think the reason that it's had such a massive impact on my life is because I've explored all the different avenues of yoga. Yeah. One of those being breath and noticing the breath more. And more recently observing other people's breath and observing my own breath and like looking for the characteristics in it and that if you were just talking to someone they might not think that's yoga it's like just it's just breathing and it mm. is it is just breathing so we can find our own um gateways into yoga through not even doing yoga as yeah. as what people would say is asana it's the movement the body the classes whatever you want to do um and some people just have something they do every day that's meditative. That's still a meditation. If you go yeah. out into your garden, you look at the sun, you feel the earth beneath your feet and you clip your leaves or whatever you, do whatever want, to you do. want to do. Yeah. You tend to your flowers. It's th That to me is also yoga. You're kind of in that moment, aren't you? You're, mm. you're in, and, I, and I've kind of, again, I've read some other stuff around like mindfulness and how, you know, that, that people just think, or, or maybe the narrative is that mindfulness is, is just the breathing or just mm. do, you know like almost stopping but it's mm. not stopping 
it's 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 being present isn't it it's being in that it's moment allowing. whether yeah, yeah. allowing yeah so whether you're flipping your leaves or whether you're i don't know just like polishing your furniture or whatever it is like it's just noticing everything about it and i think that once you do that you kind of you kind of turn things down and you scale back and then you realize that you know things like multitasking and and trying to cram too much into one moment is just ridiculous mm. like you get nothing out of it you don't benefit from it at all yeah um if it's overstimulation yeah yeah because your body's just kind of trying to cope and adapt and yeah. yeah adapting to stress basically and then that i think that's how people become really highly stressed and might end up having issues with their health their breathing there's like secondary things because they never realized where it started or how it started and doing something like yoga or going for a walk each day or walking a tightrope, whatever you want your meditation to be, it's being present in that and it not being an overstimulating stressful experience, but uh, a a grounding, uh, yeah, presence. Yeah. I think also like we're, in society, there's this whole high up, like everybody's, there's a lot of, um, there's the high life, there's like reaching for something, there's yeah, a lot yeah, of upness, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot yeah, of upness yeah, yeah. in society. Smashing through ceilings. That we're taught that, kind of that thing, yeah. up is the way. Yeah. And actually, for me right now, it's like down is the way, rooting down, coming back to, yeah, like an earth centre. And I'm not saying this is for everyone, but for me, that is where I feel most centered being up i'm just like floating around and you're grasping for things to hold on to i certainly feel that in a lot of different kind of areas of life like you know even i kind of think about like you know the 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 kind of corporate world and uh you know building up building tall buildings going up like there is this mentality there is this kind of whether it's ingrained in us to to reach up i don't know where that comes from Mm. uh and like you say, we, you know, we're kind of progressing at this rate, whether that's economically, socially, uh, ourselves, mm. our own lives. And then you can realize that you can stop and kind of go, actually, how, 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 how do I know if I've gone too far? Or how do I know that I'm no longer benefiting? Or w- at what point am I sacrificing my own myself mm. for, for these other things that actually, you know, like, w- what am I getting out of it? I'm a big kind of advocate of scaling things back. I think that society, we're going so fast and I think that there is nothing wrong with what people probably see as regressing, which is I think is progressing. Mm. I think progressing in a different direction is absolutely fine. And it just, it lets things plateau. We can bring things back. We can kind of take stock or whatever you want to do. And then you kind of, I don't know, like I feel like more refreshed for going forward in something. Yeah. So bringing things back to basics. Yeah. 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 Simplicity. Yeah. Which is, which is yoga, isn't it? Which is breathing, which is mindfulness. You're, you're, you're paying attention to the, the more natural, the more kind of the everyday things that actually do matter. And once you do that and you take that time, you'll feel better going forward and you don't need to rush. There's no, there's no like, we don't need to skyrocket towards things. No. And I think a lot of that is a displaced need. Like we're seeking uh, a new car, a better job, um, some more food, like whatever it is. 
through seeking love or seeking grounding or contentment or happiness or whatever it is or a sense of freedom Mm. but we're placing those needs that love that you know whatever it is that we need and we're putting it on a car labeling it yeah (laughs) Yeah, or we're putting it on food yeah um and i think that that is just a whole mirage if you can remove those things and say okay what's beneath that what is my actual need here yeah you might actually be able to just go out and hug someone <laughs> and it might might give you that need yeah, rather but, than but going online and buying something exactly, that, that gives yeah, you yeah, yeah. an indirect hug i yeah, 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 yeah. i kind of the, the, yeah i i, I it's this is still something i struggle with now and you know i have these conversations with usually other men about uh, cars and you get this kind of you know you know like like this this judging somebody by their car and i'm like it's a car like it it, it is literally from it's it's a mode of transport yeah. it is there to make our lives easier it serves a purpose yeah. but At it's oh point... but it's so different in i mean i'm not a man but i have been chatted up and the first thing a guy said about himself is what car he has <laughs> so i understand yeah. that it, yeah. it is an identity it is you know, I am, it's me and my car and that makes me the man I am. Yeah. And from a woman's perspective, I really don't see it in that way. (laughs) I like the idea of stripping somebody away from their possessions and seeing what they've got. Mm. Uh, And, and actually if your, if your lifestyle is your, what you've got or what you are going to have or Mm. what you're working towards, you should be able to completely demolish all of those and still have kind of uh, a a good basis of life. Like, yeah i think um, that that comes on nicely like the something that was that process for me was not wearing makeup anymore yeah because i probably started wearing makeup when i was about 11 and i'd always have a little bit of something on because that's what i felt i needed to do mm. and it became really normalized and actually what happens is a little bit more each day. It's the same as like filling your bowl up with food. Like sometimes I realize that I've got a huge bowl of porridge and I'm like, how did I get here? This is not a portion size, (laughs) but it's like a little bit more. You add a little bit more each day and you don't notice at all. And when I went away, um, I went away to Asia and I didn't wear makeup when I was there. And this, at this point I was maybe 18 Um, because it just, it's just not, you know, you don't even have mirrors in these hostels and things. So you don't even think about it. Um, and then I came back and put mascara on. I remember thinking, whoa, I look ridiculous. But then I still went back and did it because you go into an environment yeah. where it's expected of you. And then you start doing it again and it becomes your identity and you feel unworthy without it. And yeah. I imagine that's how men might feel without their cars. Some some men. And I think I think you're right. I think it's that it's that every day, little by little, and and you get yourself into this routine where you're making a decision. And actually, it's not even the act of wearing the makeup or, or doing your hair or whatever, or wearing this particular shirt or something. Mm-hmm. But because you associate your everyday lifestyles with it, it's like okay, if I take that away from you, how are you gonna how are you gonna behave? How are you gonna react? Mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for that. I, you know, I still get up and I'm like, I can't go out without putting some product in my hair because I just feel that I can't and then you know but but I have done it and nothing there's no difference in the world yeah there's no difference I might feel like oh this I don't look like me 
But that's, again, it's a ridiculous concept. There's so many versions of you. There's so many versions of me. <laughs> there is a fluffy head version of you and a slick hair version of you. It doesn't actually matter. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I, that that is that is kind of getting bogged down on the materialistic and mm. and using these things to portray our life. Yeah. Whereas... I think it, it's not, you know, it's not a problem. I, anyone that wants to wear makeup or do their hair before they go out of their house, yeah. absolutely fine. Yeah. Do what makes you feel good for me i was wearing makeup for other people yeah. so that i looked like clean and presentable or something yeah. uh i actually feel and look at myself better i have a better relationship with myself yeah. without it um but that's the key it's it's not what you do it's not what you have it's your relationship to it you can have a nice car you can have you know you can have makeup you yeah. can have any of these things it's your relationship to it that's important and checking in with yourself and knowing your boundaries with it really if someone was to take it away would you survive <laughs> mm, i think yeah and what you're describing is also like minimalism yeah. i've i've there's another thing that i've gotten quite heavily on to this year and my my perceptions of minimalism at, at first were you have to just get rid of everything you have to live actually minimally yeah. like you know one one fork one spoon that kind of lifestyle and I was like, that is so difficult as a, as a, as a, as a concept for me, because I'm one of these people that I'm like, okay, I will get that because I potentially might need that. I go hiking a lot. And a lot of the things that you get for hiking are okay. Um, I potentially might need that level of waterproof coat. I don't know what the weather's going to be like. Yeah. So you, you kind of build this basis on what I might need. And then you pack all your things in this, you know, semi sensibly into this rucksack. And you're like, I used about. 30% of what I've actually got in there. And then you can kind of translate that to life. What am I using? Um, one of the things that um, there's these two guys in America, these two minimalists that kind of got the thing, got the kind of put the spotlight on it as a way of life. And they would have a packing party. So they would put everything they own into boxes, like they're moving house. And then they would just live and they would live for like three, six weeks or whatever. And everything that they needed, they would take out the boxes. And they were like, the things they took out compared to the stuff that was still in the boxes was monumental. All of their stuff was in the boxes. They maybe got out one chair, one one thing, one this, one that. And the amount of things that we don't use. Um, so I was thinking about doing this and it's still something I'm going to end up doing at some point. Problem is I live with somebody, so I don't know how they would feel. But um, the nice thing is, is that they base their decisions on if something brings you purpose and if something brings you joy. And those are really too important. Like if you can look at anything and be like, you know, and one of the stories they say is that this guy um, has like a really kind of massive collection of books. He loves his books. He loves reading. He loves rereading the books that he's read. He has this great relationship with reading and he goes to see these guys talk and he gets really uh, kind of agitated that they're kind of preaching this way of life. Um, and he's like, I, I just can't bring myself to get rid of my books. And they're like, <laughs> Just relax. You okay. don't need to get you don't need to get rid of your books because clearly they bring you joy. Like they're serving joy or a purpose to you. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to get rid of it. Yeah. So it's not about how much stuff do I have. It's about it's about the relationship with the stuff that you have. Yeah. And if you have yeah, and also I think there's an element of if this thing goes, if it breaks, if I lose it, if it gets stolen, mm -hmm. what is my reaction gonna be? How should I react? I think that's also a good thing. It's that it's that kind of impermanent connection to stuff. Yeah. that actually everything in life right this too shall pass this too shall end yeah. everything has that 
yeah, you learn that living in London when your bike gets nicked. Yes. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think everyone has that initiation process of how do you react when your bike gets yeah. stolen. Yeah. I remember I came out of yoga and my bike had been stolen and I was just like, my bike's not there. <laughs> my bike's not there. And it was a secondhand bike, but one that I absolutely loved. Yeah, I definitely yeah, yeah. had a good relationship with it and used it every day. And Yeah, I was just like, okay, what should we do now? <laughs> you kind of hope that the person that's like taking it really really needs it you yeah. hope that that's kind of I hope they enjoy it that they're yeah. getting more more out of it maybe yeah. yeah that's 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 like how i yeah anything that i lose i'm like i just hope that they needed it yeah the world needed it in some yeah. way yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah it's it's a good it's a definitely a good outlook to have mm. uh, and you you know you, you have you have less kind of again you have less stress based on what you've got what you don't have what you're happy to lose mm. yeah so going back to London and going back to um, working in fashion, with your kind of awakening of yoga um, and this this idea of the vintage kind of repurposing lifestyle, mm-hmm. what were the challenges that you kind of saw with that, if any, when you were working in London, when you were kind of in that kind of metropolitan lifestyle? As mm. well? <laughs> um, I'd say it does... You know, there's there's definitely been different um, stepping stones and different moments where I've had different perspectives of that. But my most recent um, was when I moved back from New Zealand. And I'd say that when I really got into it was in that transition between New Zealand and coming back to the UK. Because I'd been away for a while. New Zealand is just a whole different world. I never had any house or car keys when I was there. Like, it's just, it was so safe, so calm. Um, Also mental, but just, it was just a very different life to what I'd ever experienced. Mm. So coming back to the UK and I think a lot of people that travel for a long time and that live in different countries kind of have this, it's that like, am I going backwards? Like, what do I do when I get back? Is this kind of, yeah, what if, what if? Um... So for me, I just thought, I've learned all these tools. I've been researching these different things. I did a 10-day fast when I was in Bali just before I came back, which I'd been planning for for a really long time. Um, and it was, how am I going to come back to London, earn some money? Actually, I took I took on a job whilst I was doing other freelance stuff, which was probably the most serious job I've ever had. <laughs> Um, in terms of it being full-time with one company and a higher responsibility uh, for a team than I'd ever had. Um, And it was, can I actually go into a city, live the life that most people live in that city, still stay balanced, still have a social life, still earn some money? Can, is that possible? Mm. Because it's all well and good people that are completely dedicated to holistic life and no yoga teacher so they're in yoga studios all day they're around people who are never going to eat gluten or dairy and it's like a very um nurturing environment for those life choices that you want to make working in the city um being around people that want to drink after work every day or that want to do the things that i was choosing not to do um it was a challenge for me. It was like, can you go into the eye of the storm and maintain your center, maintain your balance? Yeah. Can you still get up and do yoga every morning, even though you're working long days and still doing freelance work after work? 
So that, that I think was the biggest challenge because it was real. It was reality. It wasn't being somewhere where you can make decisions around your healthy lifestyle as in when you choose. It was you've got a lot on your plate. Can you keep your balance? Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard. There was, I definitely had to maintain and build boundaries quick. (laughs) I think that was the start of my journey with boundaries because before when I was in London, I was so free, fun, partying, working, like doing all sorts of different things all the time, just saying yes to things, always being there if somebody called me, always being there for other people. I'm a typical caretaker, Um, but not saying no. This is my space. These are my boundaries. This is what I need. This is my routine. Um, My morning is mine, you know, like, (laughs) um, and to not feel guilty for that. There were moments where I had to say no to friends in need because I was in need also. And this is it, yeah. And that is so hard for me. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it's hard for a lot of people. Yeah. But to have that boundary of I'm looking after myself here, I'm maintaining my centre, I am there if you really, really need me, but right now I need my space. And to not feel guilty for that is so hard. (laughs) Yeah, that that is it. You know, like, uh, I've you know spent about 10 years of my life solidly kind of practicing getting involved with buddhism and one of the big messages and i got it a lot was that you know i would do things or i would say things and people were like oh you're not you're not exercising uh, compassion very well and i'm like you understand you know what is the understanding of compassion is compassion just putting yourself out there mm-hmm. potentially burning out you have to have self compassion yeah. you have to look after number one how can you look after number two if you can't look after number one? Mm-hmm. And this is always my thing. Like, you know, you know you've got to, you know, maybe walk before you can run, that kind of thing. It's no good just being, pushing yourself there um, and, and and being that person for everybody. But then you, you get to a point where I think you realize I haven't done anything for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm losing my identity or I'm losing my well-being. And actually... And another thing I like is that you, you you know you can do these things for other people. You don't need to be in that mindset. Like it's got nothing to do with me. I don't need to share in your suffering. I can certainly help, mm-hmm. and I can be compassionate. And I can whatever you need me to do, I can do. But I'm not gonna live your trauma. Mm. Kind of thing. Exactly. You can so, say yes, this is shit, and yes, I will be there for you, and we can support each other in this. But there is no good in you going yeah. into that experience. Yeah. Um, and it's it's like the whole aeroplane thing. Put your mask on before you help others. Because yeah. yeah. if you don't put your mask on, you're not helping anyone else. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's like the perfect example. Yeah. That is a good example. Yeah. Um, and that kind of, yeah, sticks in my head a lot. And it's, it's easy to forget. Mm. It's definitely easy to forget when you see someone in front of you that you love and you want to do anything and everything for. And your things seem like it's okay. You would survive, you know, it's like, oh, I'll be okay if I don't do yeah. that, you know, if I can, I'll just, I'll just have a bath later. Yeah. <laughs> just, and this is it, just because it, it seems on a, on a, on a, on a scale to be like of less importance or of less kind of uh, impact than the other person's problem. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it's not a problem. It doesn't mean that it, it deserves, you know, like, it's not a hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you, you have to, there is a level of prioritization in life, but actually, 
it's 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 us first, isn't it? Mm. Like you say, you're putting on your own mask first. Yeah. I'm not going to be of help to anybody. Mm. You wouldn't be in a, in a you know you wouldn't want to console a, a grieving friend if you were also kind of you know not not balanced yourself. Yeah. It just adds oxygen to the fire. Yeah, and I think big lessons for that. For me, whilst I was away, I had a real epiphany that a friend that I lost when I was maybe 18, um, I hadn't grieved for her because she was a family friend. And at the time I was thinking, how's my mom gonna be? How's my dad gonna be? How's my brother gonna be? Um, and it's almost like I used supporting them through their grievance or yeah, you, you look outside of yourself rather than looking within yourself and what you actually feel in that moment and how you would need or like to process it. Yeah. And yeah, I had a dream about her when I was away and I woke up and it was just this epiphany and I was like, I've not grieved this at mm. all. Mm. And this was years later. Yeah. Um, because it's just so easy to d distract ourselves with... Um, yeah, with looking after others. And I think exactly. that that is a really common thing. It's like, if everything else is in order, then I'll be okay. Um, it's, it's codependency. <laughs> it's codependency. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's if everything else is in order and if they're okay, then I will be okay. It's, it's yeah, it's looking after the center outside. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I presume we're okay. <laughs> I think these might be good enough. <laughs> I think it should be fine. Um, um, yeah, it's textbook codependency. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think I, I definitely have remnants of it from my experiences. Yeah. I think, you know, yeah, I think that's... Um, <clears throat> I think, again, you because you've had that experience and because you've lived it, I, I, I'm one of these people that I think that experiences, obviously, they do shape us. and And if you do something once you're more equipped and actually even if you've done that one thing i always think about like when i was in india i traveled to india when i was probably 18 19 it was the first time i traveled by myself and to go to, to go to kind of rural poor india to do work it is a kind of a you're robbed of your senses it's an attack you don't know what to think what to feel um and especially kind of growing up in the western world to kind of go and do that it's quite a stark reality you build I mean, I certainly built like a, a how, what I thought India was going to be like. And then when I got there, it was completely different to how I thought it would be. Um, but at the time, I was like, I just want to get out of here. And like in hindsight, and a lot of people kind of judged me for that. They were like, oh, you know, you, you paid, you, you went there, you did this and you've kind of bottled, you came, you came home early. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, if I did that again now, I probably wouldn't because I'm not the same person that I was then. I've learned so much more. But even doing an experience and having kind of acted in a way that you think is not like yourself that's still rewarding you can still you know your hindsight can be that i would totally do that thing differently yeah. but know, that was your boundary the at the time that's the boundary at the time yeah. Yeah, that's the capacity isn't it and i think that is a version of yourself it's like i'm not comfortable with this experience i'm not able to kind of yeah sit into it and connect with it because it's not right for me right now and it's like to stay there of fear of judgment or because there's expectation riding on it from other people that's not your yeah. own yeah i think it's kind of bold and cool to just be like no i'm, I'm coming exactly. back yeah um because that's what i want to do 
And I think, yeah, India's overwhelming. <laughs> Parts of India can be really most, intense. Most things that we are not kind of used to. You know, I, 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 was, I say to people, everybody should travel to India once. Yeah. Like everybody should do this kind of completely bewildering uh, experience that is, and it doesn't even have to be, you know, I think people associate, I don't know, like out of your comfort zone as being wrong. Like mm. it's a faux pas, like, oh, because I'm not used to it. I don't, like, it's not how I live. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do it. Like, no, you totally should. You should see how other people, what what makes other people tick? Why do other cultures do that? Why does they, why do they do things that way? Why do they eat their food like that? This is an experience. This is going to shape you. Mm. It's going to equip you for life, but it's also going to give you that kind of volume. To, to your character, I think. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's certainly <laughs> different. I think that anybody it definitely that builds your character for sure. And traveling isn't for everyone. And I'm, no. yeah, I probably when I was younger would have advocated yeah. more like yeah. everybody needs to do it because I was just so excited about learning about different people and cultures. And I, yeah, saw the changes in myself yeah. and how I saw the world. But you can learn so much from your your environment and you can still get out of your comfort zone and grow right where you yeah. are. And I think there is this kind of illusion that you have to start somewhere else other than where you are right now. Yeah. Um, and you can get out of your comfort zone. Like there was that guy, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but there was a guy that basically went and asked people for something. It was like a hundred days where he went out and asked someone for something ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> like he would go and order his coffee. And then when he would come to pay, he'd say, can I have it for free? <laughs> he would Excellent. just yeah, he yeah, would yeah. just be bold and ask yeah, and say yeah. what can I get and apparently he got so many more yeses than he ever thought that he would get and this is it we forget that like everything that we do is human yeah like it, it just because uh, yeah, it's like I, I really struggle with uh kind of that this is the way we've always done it mentality uh I, I just for me it's like this this isn't gonna help me I, you, you know you're getting stuck now um and I think that and it, it's just the small things in life that actually can change your perceptions on things. What, one great example is my dad, he will be like coffee uh, and he will bit of milk and that's it. Mm. And whereas, yeah, traditionally I would do the same. I changed to oat milk mm. for no other reason that a, um, I just, you know, I wanted to cut down my dairy intake. I wanted to do something a bit more kind of animal friendly. I wanted to change something. It mm. doesn't really need to have a reason other than variety mm. and, own, so, and for drive. someone like your dad and also my dad that is going out of your comfort zone it's so as simple as yeah. that yeah. and yeah no my dad doesn't have dairy and he noticed the massive changes in yeah. his uh sinuses and the mucus in yeah. his body and yeah, and yeah, now yeah. he's on the phone telling my grandparents to have ginger tea and i hear him and i'm like <laughs> whoa that's a massive yeah. massive deal yeah. it was, it was this year that, that we you know like get out we were doing kind of, I think I was at my parents, everyone was having a, a oat milk cappuccino or whatever, and he got made one. And his immediate his immediate response was, like, just get rid of it, I'll make my own. And it's like, no, 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 just drink it. Like, <laughs> nothing's gonna happen. Like, what, what, do, you, what do you expect you'll react? Like, how how do you think you're gonna be in, in two minutes time after you've drunk your coffee? Yeah. And he enjoyed it. It's but like, he wouldn't have made that it. step without embracing variety, something different, stepping out into the unknown of 
having oat milk. Like it's such a small thing, but it's such a big impact. It's such a big meaning. It's a big take home message. Yeah. And it's like, um, let's say if you walk different routes, so say you walk to the shop the same way every time. You walk on the same side of the pavement, you do the exact same part. Yeah, I remember yeah. when I used to walk to school, I used to um, stand on the cracks and I used to love just walking along the cracks and standing on the cracks all the way along this road. And it's it's that like habit and routine, but it's actually so powerful neurologically to just switch something. So yeah. something that your brain thinks it knows exactly what's going to happen and you just go a different way. <laughs> that it can be as simple as that and that yeah, is super you're powerful. giving yourself a surprise yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a great way of looking <laughs> yeah. at it because you're just not ready for it but then you you take yeah. the plunge and then your brain kind of catches up and then you realize that actually there's another way yeah could be a better way could not be could be the same yeah. could make no difference but yeah. you have altered something and you observe more exactly if you're going a different way you kind of have to look where you're going yeah <laughs> whereas if you're an autopilot sometimes you arrive at this place that you go every day and you don't know how you got there you just, you're driving and you're like, did I just, did I go through a did red I, light? Did I, do, <laughs> did yeah, I yeah, yeah. what happened? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so it can bring a new sense of presence as well. Yeah, I think it's good. That's being in the moment, isn't it? That's, that is it. So <clears throat> we talked about kind of, you know, your, your kind of career in London and then you went to New Zealand. So at what point? Did things kind of, did what point did you fully walk away from the fashion industry and kind of go into a, a different way of life? I guess, <clears throat> I guess for me, it's actually been a full circle because I turn away from the perspective that I had, basically. <clears throat> so yeah. I, I had this dream, this aspiration to have have my own collection and have designed it and have story through it and all this stuff it was just yeah. this big dream and then I realized it wasn't actually it was the same thing it was like a, a bit of a mirage where sure. I thought it was going to bring um <clears throat> yeah a, a sense of higher achievement almost to have done my own collection probably to have designed yeah. it myself rather than using something that already exists so when I realized that that just wasn't it, <laughs> um, I still make clothes now. I still bleach, rework, um, do whatever. I tie dye stuff. Um, if something gets a stain on it, I'll dye it in turmeric or, you know, it's, I still do it now. So there wasn't actually, there was a moment where I turned my back on that dream or I, I shattered that dream that I thought I had. Um, and at the same time, I broke up with my ex who I was with when I was in London for like most of the period that I was in London. And that also was kind of like a shattering of a dream. It was like sure. breaking this kind of tower that you've built or this this attachment, this like ego that you have for your own life as it is. You, I had a lot more material things and I had a certain lifestyle and I was partying a lot and I wasn't looking after myself consistently. Yes, I still did yoga sometimes. And yes, I looked after myself sometimes, but it was usually because I'd redlined in another area. I'd pushed my limits oh, so yeah, much yeah. in another area that I came back, I felt shit about myself. So mm -hmm. I went and then undid it all. It's like confession. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, it's like it's like having a green tea after you've just like, yeah. like wrecked your body for a weekend. Exactly. And you think that it's that, that level of like, uh, 
I'm just covering it up. I'm doing something that's going to take that bit to away. Undo, yeah. yeah. Like doing yoga at an after party at 7am after you've been playing your weekend doesn't, it's not the same thing. (laughs) I realised. So it was almost like that whole thing just shattered all at the same time. And it broke. And it breaks you. And therefore it breaks all of these kind of things that you use to to support you and to... Mm to crutch you up like it's like you build this house you build this house around you metaphorically um and when that shatters you feel so exposed you feel naked you feel unsafe it's probably cold and dark but you can see the stars you can see the sky you can see the moon you can look around you and see things that you otherwise weren't able to Mm. see if you had that security that you'd built so for me that's what happened it was like everything just broke away from me at the same time. And that was a really scary, but motivating feeling. Um, And I think that's why I went to the other side of the world (laughs) to then work my way backwards. Um, So that was definitely a a pivotal moment in in terms of letting go of everything that I'd um, identified with up until that moment. Sure. And from there, I think, you can you can just start to look at yourself as you are um and to then connect with that and go inwards rather than um building your identity from external things so that was the start of that for sure and then i listened to a podcast actually good old podcasts (laughs) um and it just planted a seed it was I love listening to kind of health, holistic, sciencey, integrative medicine. Mm. Um, and it was one that was like business, but also fasting. It was basically this woman that had started, um, uh, it's called Plate Joy actually. So she um, started a business and then she was starting to talk about fasting. And this was way before you kind of saw fasting everywhere it was still at the stage where people were probably having six meals a day to like increase fitness habits small and often and i'd also read about fasting in more spiritual texts but kind of thought it's probably for like male gurus (laughs) i just kind of left it over there as it's for them not me people wandering in forests and all that kind of thing yeah yeah And then I started to research fasting and the benefits. And from all of the partying and not looking after myself, I definitely had, I mean, I had autoimmune diseases and chronic gut issues that I'd had for a long period of time. And I think the stress, the the change, the contrast of environment, and I went from summer in England to the winter in New Zealand, like that. (laughs) And also just completely flipped my life upside down. And things came out in my skin, like my gut. And I actually just realized that I'd probably only pooed like twice a week for the past four years. <laughs> I just not noticed uh, because I didn't have like typical constipation, like symptoms. Yeah. So then I thought, hang on a minute, people poo every day. <laughs> and I thought I should probably try that. <laughs> How can I get to that point? And then, yeah, I started to research fasting more, the benefits of cellular healing and the benefits on your gut and how you can kind of rebalance your system. And that extreme really excited me to, it was again, undoing all of the damage I'd done. I became obsessed with how I could cleanse my 
soul <laughs> and my cells all at the same time. Um, I have come to learn and realize that your it's it, it's much like breathing, isn't it? The, the that it's this kind of primordial primordial like the one thing that we can do. Like out of out of the things that humans do, we breathe and we eat. They're like our our strip everything back. That that's that's what we that's the they're the things that we control really. Um and you know like the, the, how how important your gut health is and how important your i didn't i didn't even know i'm a medical professional i didn't even know there was such a thing as enteral nervous system yeah. that your that your that your you know your your gut and it's and, and its entirety has this has so many nerve endings you're like of course this is going to have such a massive impact on your life mm. with what how you eat what you eat when you eat it you know like and i i dread to think like what kind of what, if you if you looked at food nowadays, <laughs> like the stuff that you can get in the supermarket or fast food and that kind of stuff, I'm just like, oh, I can't go. It's not food. It's non-food, you know? Non-food. And that's there's something that I had a really big um, realisation, deep realisation, not a cognitive um, knowing, because I knew that certain foods were unhealthy for me. I knew that, you know, eating to the point where you just want to lay down, you can't move and you feel sick the next day. Yeah, there's a reason you feel sick the next day. Yeah, yeah. like I knew these things, but I still did it. Yeah. <clears throat> Not often, it became less and less often. And I think this is also something to note is that it's such a process. It's such a long process to get to a point um, where you are really conscious of everything that you're putting in and on your body. Yeah. Um, so there was a moment when I was fasting, which again, I think it's your relationship to what you're doing. I think... I mean, I did a fast for 10 days, but that was a, with a lot of preparation. <clears throat> um, there was a moment where I was, I'd gone to a place, because I did it in Bali and I was in an ashram and completely isolated on my own. But I'd gone and found a place that they could prepare my food for afterwards, because I didn't have a, a kitchen where I was. Sure. So I went and I said, can I have, it's basically roughage that you need to eat. So you're dragging any excess mucus through your body to finally cleanse. So the first meal you have is part of the cleanse. It's actually the most important thing. After you fast, what you put in your body, especially prolonged fasts, fasts it's the most important part. It's not yeah. the non-eating. It's yeah. the, the eating again. You're reprogramming your body. Yeah. So I went and I almost became a little bit stressed that, I was saying like, you know, no sauces, but just cooked roughage veg. Obviously it's not on the menu. <laughs> it's not really generally on the menu anywhere, but I trusted them. <clears throat> but at first it was kind of like this panic that I would eat the wrong thing or that they'd put chili on it or that there would be something that would shock my system. And at that point I realized what you put in your body is medicine. Like it, it and I know that people say it, but knowing it and understanding it is a different thing. Yeah, It's the impact that that has on your body. If I was to eat a bowl of potatoes at that point, I could have killed myself. Yeah, And that awareness, that knowing, or if I, like one of my friends that I met up with was eating a brownie and she's like, oh, I feel so bad. I'm eating a brownie in front of you. You haven't eaten for five days. I was like, honestly, <laughs> I don't want that brownie. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know I love brownies, but that right now is like the most dangerous thing on my radar. Um, so that real extreme experience, um, brought around a new knowing and real new understanding of the impact of what you put in your body. 
Absolutely. And also I didn't uh, brush my teeth or put deodorant on or anything for 10 days. And the world didn't end. <laughs> the world didn't end and I didn't die, which most no, people say yeah, I would. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, that's when I really, really started to honour and respect what I put in and on my body in a Absolutely. new way. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about your recent permaculture kind of sustainability experience as well, because that's something that's really interested me. Um, anything to do with different living, I think is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I recently went to Andalusia in the South of Spain um, on a three month permaculture design course. And yeah, I guess the first thing that everyone asks you and each other when you first get there is like, what what brought you here? Why are you here? What do you want to get out of the experience? And for me, it was, as we've spoken about, I began stripping back to a more natural and integrative way of living within myself. So I was eating healthier. I was, you know, putting less crap on my body and yeah. just living more healthily and more yeah in tune with nature and my natural form and self and um body spirit okay. <laughs> i think that's really good isn't it because most you know most kind of experiences that you want to get out of life especially after travel you're going somewhere to kind of build on things with with the external if you say i mean like you you people will go to africa and then they'll have a big bucket list of things that they want to do and see and then they've got you know they'll just i want to eat this food i want to do this thing and, and then for that you're going somewhere to to kind of look inward mm. and, and and use that uh in a way of you you know you're, you're essentially learning how to live a more you know it's it's it's, it's strange isn't it that we we think that living a more basic life is just a kind of a, a a thing that that is a learned behavior like in the same way that, that relying on the external, relying on, you know, me, me going to work, me doing this, me having to go to Tesco to buy my food, like that is a learned behavior. If someone said to me, you need to live more naturally, I'd be like, well, I have all the tools or I have me, but I don't know what I'm doing because I need to go, I need to relearn that behavior. Mm. There's a big thing about like, you should be able to completely forget what you've learned and relearn new stuff. That, that is a good way of being adaptable life definitely and I think that that was that was the thing I, I thought how can I extend this so how can I extend it a little bit further so that I can actually create more balance in my environment um because I mean <laughs> I do get a little bit perfectionist and overboard with it sometimes in the way that it's like okay just don't ever go to the supermarket um, and I try not to, I try and encourage people not to go to the supermarket and not to yeah. go to the shops and things like that. And um, also whilst trying not to be a preacher, but for myself, at least it's, it's taking responsibility for what you're consuming and what you are buying. Um, you're voting with your money. So Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that is uh, something that we all need to take responsibility mm. for. So sometimes <laughs> there's things like um going to the farm shop and then realizing that their blueberries still aren't from the uk even though it's, yeah. it's the uk blueberry season you know so there's there's ways that i kind of came across i started to explore i thought okay how can i be more conscious with what i'm consuming with what i'm buying uh with how i'm living and then you because you are still choosing um the next easiest option which is natural we, we build it up yeah. um 
you realize that that's just not for me that's not good enough still (laughs) so then it was okay how do I grow my own blueberries yeah um how do I have them in my garden um and I thought I probably had the perspective that I would go and I could learn how to grow all my own vegetables have the answers and um be able to come back and just live instantly in a completely uh in sync with nature way uh, with no waste and um, feel really good about myself and actually I realized that there is no such thing as a permaculture course or there is no such thing as um, a course or an exchange or a qualification in how to live naturally and how to have as least impact and as most positive impact as possible Um, at least negative impact and most positive impact so yeah it was a big learning actually in that it's still baby steps. It's baby steps in that as well. You can't just go somewhere and exchange um, a course or some kind of approval from someone and then feel completely confident that you can just grow all of your own fruit and vegetables forever and have no uh, need for this structured society that we have to yeah. be completely self-sufficient, you know? And this is it. And, you know, like the the mentality of like today is instant gratification, right? Like we, we, we want to be able to go... I want to change something. I want to see results immediately. Mm-hmm. I want to have that knowledge immediately. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah. And I want uh, to have that knowledge, and you I know? Want to have that. Yeah, it's exactly, like yeah. it's, do you have it or do you live it? Yeah. And I think that's the only true knowing. That's the only time when uh we really know something is when we live it. Yeah. Um rather than it being something we do at work or is d- detached from our yeah. own reality. And and it kind of goes back to, you know, you saying about like you know that this is these are kind of man-made society constructs that we live in so it's it, it and it is that kind of it's we've always done it this way we've always gone to shop at tesco we've always bought food that we actually have no idea how it's got here mm-hmm. what's in it really yeah okay it lists ingredients half the ingredients we don't actually know what they are mm. you know if you are scaling back and doing things for yourself you know at every point what is what is what you've put into that you know that your effort has gone into that you know that this is what these are the seeds that you've bought or these are the 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 vegetables that you've planted you know exactly what's going to come out of it you've nurtured it with and you've nurtured it and love it's all and meditation own, yeah so it's all on your own back it's all it's all there um I'm, I'm getting an allotment next year. I'm really psyched about it. Amazing. I have never done anything like that in my life. I have, you know, like my, my dad had an allotment. I still, I don't know really what he did on it. Like, you know, every now and then he bought him vegetables. I thought you stick it in the ground, you water it and that's it. Hey, presto. There's so much more to it than that. There's all these different ways of tilling the soil or not tilling the soil and, and, and all these things, which I'm so excited to learn, live. But it will mean that I'm in control of my own life of my own you know what i'm putting into my body and, and and i think that even if you are somebody that you know it's it's all well and good having all these things but quite often it's it's like it's it's time and accessibility right not everybody has land to grow vegetables in not everybody has the time to scale things back and live more naturally we can make time we can change our lives and that's something we should do but actually it's that kind of rat race. I've got to get up. I've got to go to work. I've got to come home. I'm too tired. I'm all this. I'm that. But if we could change society to suit that, 
like one of the things I was like, we could, you know, you can go and pay money to have an allotment. Here's a, here's a good idea. Everybody gets land. Every, every house that you sell gets land for growing your own vegetables. Mm. That's just such a simple thing in my mind that, that, could, that could happen. Yeah. Or just community. Or community. I think that it's, it is difficult. It would be really difficult for one person on their own to grow all of their own vegetables, to make their own soaps, to, to completely be self-sufficient. But if you were to do it in a community where there's one person that makes the bread, there's one person that grows the yeah. vegetables or that has more tomatoes or that kind of you, you almost specialize, but you share, you it, trade, you exchange. Yeah, yeah. Therein lies the power. That's you, the yeah. Teflar <laughs> self-sustainable way. Yeah, your, um, your economy becomes your, tra your trading. Yeah. Everybody has something to mm. offer and everybody has something that is a requirement of, of living your life or whatever i think you're right it is almost too much of an ask for one person to be able to be completely self-sufficient from anything else yeah. and actually that's not um healthy in in a way it's it's not how um a traditional natural way of living evolves you do need to rely on each other you do need yeah. community um and i think that that is something that we've lost Something that we've lost in in our societies now, we don't need each other as much. Yeah, um, we've definitely become more predatory. Mm. Like we see, we you know, other other human beings see other human beings as they're out to get me, or they're out to do this, or I I, I don't want to rely on this person, or I, I'm not like we're, we're becoming unsocial animals. Yeah, the de is the default is is fear rather than kindness. And, right. Yeah. And actually, um, I do feel that. I mean, Rutger Bretman wrote a whole book on humankind, human kindness. Um, and it's like this theory of if a plane starts to go down, if a plane starts to crash, what do you think happens? A, everybody tramples all over each other and they're every man for themselves. Or B, everybody kind of tries to work together to give master people and make sure that they're looking after each other to all survive. Most people would say A, because yeah. that's what uh, this narrative is. It's what the media tell us, really. Um, and then he starts to go back into um, post-war, like post-war in the UK and Germany, um, the media narrative being that um, it was this dog-eat-dog, dog. nobody's looking after themselves, everything's a disaster and it's violence. And, um, and actually going into those, those communities, the journalists that were truly reporting at the time, their stories did get um, published later, but the damage is done with the, with those initial stories of fear and yeah. violence, right? So the truth does come out, but nobody's interested because it's not the peak. It's not the it's not the peak story. There's a we, there is we a don't latch onto a, that. Yeah, there's a historical kind of uh, thing about truth coming out years years later mm. when no one's it doesn't matter. No one's bothered about it anymore because it's done. Yeah. It's been it's happened. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's why it's really important for us to look around us and to talk to each other for our own stories for our own experiences in our communities rather yeah. than taking some narrative that's completely detached from our reality yeah. um so yeah i think that our default is to think that everybody is out to get us but actually i believe that there is innate human kindness in all of us and that the instinct is kindness yeah we're kind of saved we're saved by each other at the mm -hmm. end of the day we, we we need it we need people because Nobody would survive without another person. Mm. We don't roam the wilds and go and find our food and, and all that. We are 
I'd say more than pack animals. Yeah, yeah. We need that kind of integrated society. We we need multitudes of people. And we're connected anyway. You yeah. Know, it's, it's such a collected consciousness, collective yeah. consciousness connecting us all. Um, and our detachment from that is what's isolating us. Yeah. But to be able to connect with that um, will bring about this trust, I believe. Yeah. It, will, it will help us connect more as a community. There's there's a Buddhist practice about when you eat, you when you chew in your food, you, you think of all of the steps and all of the people that have made like that happen. So oh, I didn't you, know you know, this. The, the, the kind of you know from from the from the animal from the from the lineage of animals that have that had to be there to make you know whatever that chicken that whatever even if it's a vegetable that's been grown by somebody that's then been imported or exported or it's come from somebody's effort. It's gone through so many steps. It's gone through so many people to get to you to nourish you. So without that, without those people, which are probably in the hundreds if you think about it that that's that has not come to pass mm. and that is like that is true with everything even you know even the most mundane things you're watching netflix or whatever like how many people has that has that taken for mm. you to be able to watch that show yeah for your entertainment that's amazing i didn't know that about so this yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's kind of these kind of things and, and you just need like adopting them in your everyday yeah. living and you just, i usually like, say oh. to people a, a similar thing um if you could watch a movie of the journey of all of the foods that you eat like right from the start to the yeah. finish would you watch it this is also true right a lot of people <laughs> would say no <laughs> a lot of people do say no yeah um a lot of people kind of laugh their way out of it <laughs> and yeah. some people say yes um but it's like yeah okay so we can watch cowspiracy and we can watch uh samsara and all these things that show experiences of the world and maybe the processes and the connections that we have uh, with nature and food and things that we consume but if you could really see it in front of you, would you sit down and watch it? Mm. Yeah. And that, that I think, is something to remember when you're buying something. It's like, would you be able to watch and take responsibility for the whole journey of this item, of this food, of, of whatever it is? Yeah. People, yeah. I think people like to think, oh, that, that, that doesn't happen to my food. It might happen over there. Or yeah. It might happen in that country. Mm. It might happen to this particular brand. Yeah. But not mine. Yeah. And it's like, well, why is it any different? Mm. If you've done your own... If you've grown your own vegetables, if you've created your own food, if you've if you've done all the legwork, that film is going to be probably shorter, mm. probably more wholesome, and you know you know every step of that because you've done it. Yeah, there's no. And I think also there's a from my perspective, there's activism around these kinds of things. So I've seen a lot about the Indian farmers at the minute, the farmers yeah. in India, and. I think it can almost be um, more of a detachment. People are kind of supporting this movement without thinking, what am I doing to contribute to that in the yeah. first place? Not, I'm raising awareness about this in order for somebody else to yeah. undo it, somebody else to do something about it because I've raised the awareness. Mm -hmm. But it's like, what are you actually doing directly um, to change the way that you live? to change the habits that you have yeah. to help people like that, but also all of the other people that are affected by the way that yeah. we're living. So I think that I do have a slight um, almost reluctance to this like form of acti activism that is, oh, I've, I've, I've gone and done a process or I've raised awareness. Um, and it's again, looking outside of yourself. 
Yes. Um, yeah, I think yeah. it has a real, like, there's definitely a role for it and there's definitely a place for it. Um, but not to take away the task of then looking at yourself as well. Yeah. The seeds of change come from within, right? Yeah. Like, that's kind of... um, so I think that that's important to, to yeah, come, come back to what you're consuming. Yeah. And, and what energy that's charged with as well. And that's what I like. I think that's especially a lot more of the recent kind of, uh, social dilemmas across the world and, and kind of injustices is that people are going, what can I do? Like, well, actually, what can I do in my day to day? It, you know, you say it's, you know, there is a, there is a place for protest. There is a place for sharing things. There's a place for all these things, but how is living my life going to affect that? Is mm-hmm. there something that I can change that can actually have, if we all did it, a massive impact? And that's the thing, isn't it? Like, I'm never going to change the world by myself. No one's expecting me to. But we should be adaptable to change. If everybody had that mentality, if everybody thought about peace, there would be no wars. It would cease like that mm. because it, it's a collective. Mm. And collective I think consciousness. It's a collective consciousness. Rupert Sheldrake's morphic resonance. It's this kind of knowing and um, believing that one small thing that you do yeah. can also and will also have an impact elsewhere. Yeah. And I think that that's something that came through for me with uh, living in tune with nature and permaculture it's planting a tree that you will never see at its peak yes. um, planting it for someone else and in the same way um, doing something for somebody else or doing something that is beyond you beyond yourself that cannot be tracked back to you that you can't identify with that you can't say I went to this protest or I planted that tree yeah it's it's doing it for something bigger than you yourself it's doing it for something doing it for the earth or doing it for this collective i think that is a real sure way to detach from this modern ego and materialist uh, tendency that instant gratification thing just completely goes out the window because all of a sudden what i'm doing something i'm not even gonna either see or yield the results of like Mm. what like but but life continues on like without you. People You're... think, oh, well, why would I do that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. The, that's yeah. Like, the why would I thing. do something where I'm not going to be, yeah. you know? Um... And it's like, but you don't know that the power of that could yeah. have much more power than this kind of new project that you want to do yeah. or this thing that you want to identify with. Yeah. Like, oh, I want to have a business that will change the world mm-hmm. or I want to do something, you know, that, that can be identified as me. Yeah. Uh, but what if, one of those small things that you could do could change the world in a bigger way than even Steve Jobs ever did, you know? You don't know that. You don't know that it won't. And I think there's so much power in letting go of that identity, identifying with what impact it might have. Yeah. Um, And just trusting. Trusting that doing something with love and care um, and consciousness will always have an impact. Yeah, and it's gonna, you know, it's the, these ripples are gonna get bigger and bigger, and someone else is gonna do the same thing. And you know, like you say, you, you plant the tree. Eventually, when that tree starts growing, and you know, we're no, we, that person is no longer there to see it, but the next person will come along and they'll water the tree mm. and they'll tend to it, and someone else will do something else, mm. and suddenly you've made all these connections. And all the other trees underneath it will thank you because it gets shade from it and it gets strength yeah, so from the, it, the, yeah, and they're like, all communicating underneath. It's it's, it's like a it's it's just. It, everything branches off it's roots of a tree isn't it? they branch off they carry on going the networks continue mm. and then we realize that actually that is interconnectedness that is that's the collective consciousness yeah 
that mentality of just because we're doing something we're not yielding the results of it it doesn't mean that it's not worth doing mm. we should continue to do it yeah in fact we should be more driven to those things because we know they're going to make more of a positive outcome on other people yeah that that we can be happy with that mm. imagine the possibilities of that one thing that you've done and what it would look like 20 30 100 years from now mm. yeah That's there amazing. was um there's a kind of theory of all of these uh, powerful people in society or the people that have made the most change, what if it was their grandma that actually planted that seed? You know, mm. it's like, it's it's not, they're not a standalone person. They have no. a family. They have people that have brought them up. They have a community yeah. that they've bounced ideas off. There's, there's not just these single people that we idolize, that we put yeah. on a pedestal as they are. Everything that they've done in yeah. the world belongs to them and, and they are the reason that this has happened. It's like, no. <laughs> Somebody would have taught them all they know. Yeah, it's, and... it's this collective experience yeah, yeah. that has peaked at that point. And yes, we might like to idolise these people and put a name to it and a face, but that's an experience of all of us. It's yeah. an experience of everything. And then, you know, and, th and this is it. Like we say, you know, you, we're saved by everybody else. We don't have what, what we are living right now without thousands of people mm. and everybody will have thousands of people and eventually the whole kind of um population of the planet will have an effect on somebody else yeah through those other people yeah there's um something that i was looking at as well because i've been looking into women's bodies and i think it's your egg will have been in your great grandma at some point or there's like your cell, cells, cells or yeah. the cells of you would have lived in your yeah. grandmother that's crazy that's, yeah. <laughs> it's just mental to think um that it's just we think that our our existence is totally down to us and the pressure is all yeah. on us yeah. because that's kind of the story that we're told but it's there's so much beyond us that um this ripple effect has yeah and if you think about how many relatives we actually have and how connected we are actually um i think it's yeah a pretty overwhelming but really exciting feeling it definitely takes the pressure away from your own identity yeah um but yeah connecting that with permaculture and nature and living seasonally i think uh learning about women's bodies more and learning about hormones has been a massive change for me that i have also learned in uh connection with learning about nature because yeah. learning about nature and how we should live more seasonally has also uh brought me to the attention of my own seasonal cycles so yeah. each, each month you go through a spring summer autumn winter winter being your menstruation um and your spring summer being for me a great time <laughs> and then autumn being like a really shit time and transitionary period and then winter being, I mean, autumn's like gathering information and harvesting. And I noticed the other day that I was reading and I had so much focus when I was reading and, mm. and then going inwards. And then winter is this kind of resting period. And then spring and summer is like ramping back up again. And yeah, and it's the same. As well. Yeah, it's the same when we're living seasonally. I have a friend now that lives in a self-sufficient community and lives completely with the seasons in yeah. the summer they invite people over they have parties and the community is full it's full with people that have come to visit and yeah. it's full when everyone's outside in the winter they're all inside they're with their fires and then they have harvest season and then they have planting season and that's just 
you know, how they live in this, in this cycle of nature. And for me to understand that in my body has brought about a whole new perspective, a whole yeah. new understanding for how we are. And, and this is something that human beings did years ago, mm. you know, millennia ago. We, we did that kind of, uh, you know, every, everything. We, th these things weren't taught. We had to learn these ourselves. So, mm. you know, you kind of, you know, we've gone through plant you know planting your own your own stuff in the in the planting seasons then yielding the results later on mm -hmm. you know and yeah winter being a more of a hibernation thing um and and something that i really like with with like diet is i and i always talk to people about you know people that eat quite a lot of meat or all this kind of thing i'm like if you were given the tools of being a hunter gatherer again like what would your diet look like mm. because so many animals especially if we go back to like these primordial hunter-gatherer times those animals are in hibernation they were difficult to find so what did you eat in in the winter months yeah and if you didn't catch like if you didn't hunt down that saber-toothed tiger or that woolly mammoth or whatever like where did your food come from you you would have had to forage you would have had to do other stuff you would have had to look at other avenues chestnuts yeah and uh, I, I quite often like this, you know, maybe maybe one day I'll just create like this game show where we just give people a spear and they go into Tesco <laughs> and all the shelves are empty, but there's like a boar running around. And I'm like, you know what, if you're going to if you're going to eat it, you've got to catch it first. Yeah. Let's see how you fare. Mm -hmm. you know, and I like that kind of thing, like just turning things on its head yeah. and, and, and looking at how nature is meant to be versus what we have done mm. to the world and how we operate now. We should be able to go, like, if this all goes kaput tomorrow, we should be able to go, you know what? It's fine, because we know how to hunt animals, or we know how to live in a, in a, in a cyclical way. We know how to utilise nature and its seasons. Mm. And it's having, like, respect and adoration for that. Yeah. It's almost like it's... Um, I mean, even for me trying to eat more seasonally, you find yourself thinking, like, oh, but I want a banana in my porridge. <laughs> it's like it's like this inconvenience that we're, yeah. we're taught. We're like, oh, that, but that's so inconvenient for me. It's like, well, is it? <laughs> is it really that inconvenient? Or are you just attached to the idea of having a banana in your porridge? And would you be much more creative with what you ate and, and how you lived if you had restrictions? I always found this in fashion. Like, yeah. when I was able to make my own collection, I didn't feel as creative as when I was really restricted and I had less money and less materials. I was way more creative. Mm. You find a way. And when you meet these people that, um, you know, live within their means. And if, if I think, if I hear stories about my grandma or um, the elderly people in my family or the generations before mine, there was always this creativity, this sense of like, we don't have a lot, but what we do have, we're going to make the best out of it that we yeah. can. And I feel like because we have now this, abundant feeling and it's like abundance brings us the best things abundance being, makes us the most creative mm. i've seen it so many times that when people add things you feel you should be more creative but you're just not yeah um so actually winding back coming into the seasons cutting out the things even through the frustration allowing that frustration um and thinking yeah my food is really boring right now but maybe in a few months time once you get into it it's like when you first start cooking, you just make what you can make. Yeah. And, and, and it's a creative process, isn't it? You yeah. Know, somebody writes Allow a book, the they make, they, they, they do some piece of art or they, they make a film. They go through those frustrations, those writer's block periods, those, those things where, where you don't yeah. have it, but they, 
they know that is a part of the process of creation. It's yeah. the same thing in any aspect. It's not just you know writing a book or whatever. It's it's it is. It's 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 doing like yeah. It's creating your food. Mm. I I love cooking. You know I love finding a recipe and cooking the recipe. And the next time I just won't follow a recipe. I'll use the same ingredients, but I'll do it how I think I should do it. Yeah. How you feel? How I feel. And then you know then I might change stuff. Mm. And I might go oh I'll just use that instead and just see how it works. Yeah that's it's stepping out of the comfort zone again it's doing that <laughs> yeah. small thing but what if it's not good enough but what if they're gonna eat enough? it yeah, yeah, yeah. what, what if, if they don't like it? it what if i don't get gratification when everybody goes mm, okay yeah it's fine but i'll know <laughs> <laughs> but it's that it's those it's taking those risks and allowing yourself to be vulnerable to fall to feel like you failed and to know that you can get back up again from that that you can adapt and change that if you make dinner for everyone and you've taken some risks and it turns out to be bland, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's like totally it's, fine. It's, okay it's not the that. end of yeah. the world. It's human. Like, we are human. I've been encouraging my dad to cook more since we've been in lockdown and, um, yeah, cooking various things with him. And he's really got the hang of this Mediterranean fish that he likes to cook. Um, and it's like, you can put it all in one, um, like, casserole dish kind of thing and put it in the oven and he just loves it he's really confident about it now and the other night he changed the recipe slightly and it was way too spicy and he just couldn't deal with it he just kept commenting the whole way through when we were having dinner of like i will i will you know i'll take the spice out next time and it's like it's okay that's that's what happens it's not wrong and i think it's that, just different yeah i have the same feeling when i cook sometimes because i've not always been someone that is really into cooking it's kind of like a slow process. So then if people say, oh, but you're really good at cooking, you start to identify with that. Or you go, I really like making this dish. It's like, what's your favorite thing to cook? Oh, I love cooking this. And then you think, shit, what if I cook it? And now it's not good. And I've told yeah. everyone that I'm yeah. really good at cooking it. Yeah. Or it's that fear of being different. And I think allowing ourselves to have many different sides of yeah. ourselves is so important and not um, identifying with one version and allowing other people to uh, to box us into that one version. Yeah. I don't drink most of the time. Sometimes I have a glass of red wine with food. If people are around me for six months, they know me for six months, and I say no to a drink every time, and then we go for a roast and I have a glass of wine, sometimes people go, oh, I thought you didn't drink. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, <there's... laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's this kind of... Um, and that will happen a lot more with people. It's like, oh, but you, you have two sugars in your tea or you have milk in yeah. your tea. And then if that changes, it's hard for people, other people to process, actually, I've realized. Um, and through the changes in my life, I've realized that it's actually sometimes even harder for them to digest than mm. it is for me to digest. So I think that that's a challenge worth acknowledging, that it is challenging for people, for you to change and to grow and adapt. But... People get used to it. Yeah. There's well, adjustment periods. This is exactly it. One one thing I did recently was, um, you know, I was I was watching some more of this David Attenborough's kind of stuff on the on the planet, and and I thought, again, you know, what can I do? I don't eat a lot of meat anyway. Mm -hmm. I just most of the time it's because I can't bother to cook it, mm -hmm. or you know, or or I find that other stuff's nicer. And I thought, you know what? Like, I wonder how long I can go without having any meat. I have since broken this rule. Mm. But not out of desire, more out of somebody else has cooked something. And I'm like, I'd rather just go, you know what? Yeah, I'll eat that. That's fine. 
because you've you've made you know that's your effort you know yeah. you've, you've you've offered me food i'm not going to turn that down um but the the interesting thing is is that i thought maybe i'll just become vegetarian and then suddenly then it's I, easier it's easier yeah. right and then suddenly i kind of slapped this label on me and i thought but there will be a time when i will eat meat and i will feel like i've let myself down or I've, and or or others or others yeah exactly like others will <laughs> Even go worse. oh but you told me you're a vegetarian and now you know yep. and, and and now you're you're kind of you're eating failing these, yourself these, these and me how dare yeah, you exactly and then you're like but actually i don't need to call myself a vegetarian Mm-mm. and i don't actually need to tell anybody i don't need to give that stuff to you i don't need to give that information away i just need to live my life and i can go you know what i haven't had meat for so long that's a win mm. in those four weeks that i had no meat that's four weeks that I've offered mm. of no meat eating. Yeah. It's adaptability. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's being able to change. Um, so I think that like kind of going forward, um, I think we've spoken a lot about well-being mm-hmm. and the different things we can do to kind of ensure it. Um, is there anything else that you like that you think that is important to well-being or it's kind of a bit of a broad, <laughs> massive question. <laughs> it's a big question. <laughs> uh, but anything that we haven't kind of touched on. I think community. I'll come back to community and connection. Because the more you can connect with your environment, it will be a snowball effect to realizing mm. like you if you can just connect with your environment in a small way whether it's going for a walk or um speaking to someone that's nearby to you that you've never really spoken to yeah. or just connecting with your environment and the people around you a little bit more looking up looking away from your usual routines i think that that brings about a new perspective and i also have this kind of meditation vision Um, I think that especially with our kind of um, sometimes the mentality of our generation I feel like is a very we're going to do better and everything is going to be better but this is all wrong like what you guys have done before using plastic and politics and all of this is wrong and I think that sometimes you can focus on that so much by trying to do good but actually what you're doing is focusing on the bad yeah and where the mind goes, energy flows. So yeah. if we can shift that perspective and actually focus on the good, focus on what we do want to see. So I have this meditation visualization, which started out as I've never admired um, the structures of society, the, the way things are, are run yeah. by the big dogs. <laughs> I've never admired, admired the big dogs. Um, but can I imagine admiring how society is governed managed um connecting how how we live like being just so in awe and surprised by the kind of powers that be and the good that they can do so this is on a slightly like yeah more society structural level but human beings too right exactly and everybody is doing their best and to remember that so then I have this visualization of walking down the street and people looking at each other, people smiling at each other in a city and in a busy town of just friendliness, comfort, lack of fear, no fear, no fear of each other. Um, 
no homeless people, you know, this responsibility for the people around us and connecting with those people and, yeah. and collectively supporting each other. And that's something that I come back to. So connecting with your environment is a big one. And even if there's stuff in that environment that you really don't like and that's really difficult for you, then starting to visualize and to connect with something beyond that, a, a yeah. higher a higher version of it, a, a more grounded version of it, a, a better reality and focusing your energy on that rather than focusing your energy on what's wrong with the world. Focus on your energy with what's right and what could be. Yeah. I think I a think lot of that, power in that. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes from. There's a lot of focus on the past, mm. all the atrocities of this government, or all the, all the the things that happened at this time, and mm. you know we we get bogged down with how it's been, how bad it was. We should be getting bogged down with how good it can be. Mm. But the the potential is limitless if we yeah. put our minds to it we and our own potential. To, yeah, our own potential. The, the the you know it takes everybody to do one thing mm. that. If we all do that one thing, you will see a radical, huge change because it's the collective. Yeah. Um, and I think I think you're right. I think that, I mean, what you have just described there is pretty much the polar opposite of what is going on at the moment. But it is something that can happen. Mm. There is no reason as to why we can't get that, not even get it back, but improve on it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's exciting. That is exciting. That is good. Um, I'm aware that... Um, We've been talking for quite a while and it's been really, really good. <laughs> and um, I'm hoping that loads of people are going to uh, kind of respond to this, which I'm sure they will. Um, so because this is the life, death and legacy, and we've definitely covered life and death, there's definitely been elements <laughs> of that somewhere, I will I will imagine. Um, so legacy, if you, what is your, right now, what would you want your legacy to be? It's quite morbid. If you drop down dead tomorrow, it's quite a horrible thing to say. Yeah, but no, that's a good... What is, the, what is the legacy that you want to leave in the world, however big and small? I think just being an open-hearted, loving individual. I think that giving love to the world and receiving love, I think is just... I think that's perfect as, yeah. a, as, a, as an example. You know, this is always the first podcast, so you've got you've got no pressure on what other people have said. Yeah. But also, it is it is it's important. That, I think that you, in you itself is a legacy. You take that question in so many ways, yeah. but ultimately, I feel what it all boils down to is love. Yeah. I think giving and receiving love and elevating people and helping people to connect with love. More. Yeah. And we've you know we've said about the ripple effect. If you if you're doing that in your kind of however big or small your community is, imagine how larger that's going to get. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to grow. It's planting the, it's, love. It's the planting <laughs> tree that you will, you know, you, you do, you get, you certainly get the benefits now, but that will continue on. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you for being on the first podcast episode. Thank you so much. It's and, been amazing. Yeah. It's and been I think so much that, fun. Um, we'll see what happens next. Yes. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you very much.